Well, it is so good to see everyone this morning, and we are glad that you are here. And I want to just celebrate something for a moment. So if you can take your right or your left hand, whichever one is easier for you to use, just take it and go like pat yourself on the shoulder real quick. We have something to celebrate. Now, after we've done that, we're going to also just praise the Lord for this. But we just had our uh, baby bottle campaign for the Women's Care Center in Milwaukee. And uh, this year, through our collective generous efforts, we've raised over $9,400 for the Women's Care Center. So that is something to celebrate. There are going to be lives that are literally saved because of your generosity and because we have been able to partner with Women's Care Center and just contribute to the valiant effort that they are doing in resourcing uh, women and and families who are coming and, and having children who it might be unexpected, it might be kind of a, sometimes a crisis, um, but they are able to reach and minister to those people. So we're just excited that we get to celebrate with them and and just partner with them. So today we are going to continue to look at the life of Joseph. And what we are finding as we are going through this, that just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before him, we are seeing that Joseph also is just an ordinary person who served an extraordinary God. That's been our theme over the last few months, that we can look to the, the patriarchs, the people who were really pointed out at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, that there are regular people, ordinary people, who serve an extraordinary God. And in his life, we have observed over the last couple of weeks that God is the star of the show. That through it all, God will speak to ordinary people, he will minister in their lives, and he will accomplish his divine plan according to his purposes, even through the twists and turns that life brings. We've also seen that sin and its ripple effects do not have to have the final word. Praise the Lord for that, right? That we, just because we sinned doesn't mean that it's over. That we can be forgiven. We still may have some consequences. We may still have some ripple effects in our lives from sin. But we can know and we can stand assured that God has forgiven our sin. As we come to him and we confess and we repent, we know that he has forgiven us. So today, before we actually look at Joseph's life, I want us to look at a passage of scripture that's found in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I believe that this passage is going to provide a fantastic backdrop for our topic today. So I encourage you, grab your hard copy or your digital Bible and turn to Jeremiah 29. I think sometimes there's something about holding it in our hands that helps us. It will be on the screen as well. Um, So... If you're like, no, I just want to bask in it, that's fine as well. But as you turn there, I want to provide a quick backdrop on what is happening here in Jeremiah at this point. In the nation of Judah, it is a troubling time to say the least. The foreign king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has invaded Jerusalem. He's taken into exile the king of Judah, his name was Jeconiah, and many of his officials of that nation at that time. They were brought along with a number of people, over to Babylon. And in Jeconiah's place, 
his uncle Zedekiah, we're just going to call him Zed, he was seated as king by King Nebuchadnezzar and kind of as kind of one of those like vassal kings, like, yeah, you're the king, but I'm still over you. And Jeremiah remained in Jerusalem to be God's voice to the people in Judah, even though they really weren't doing a whole lot of listening, but he was still going to speak the word. So we have Jeremiah in Judah with Zed and all the people, the struggling Jewish nation, and we have a whole slew of exiles that are over in Babylon. And Jeremiah hears about what the exiles are thinking, what they're experiencing, what they're planning, or really in this matter, not planning. And prompted by the Lord, he writes a letter to the exiles. So we're going to pick up kind of the story here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, just to sum that up, he has written this to all the exiles. Everyone who's been deported to Babylon, this is for you. Let's carry on. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So while the exiles are thinking that this is going to be quick and temporary, that God's got us, we're going to be delivered from this. We're going to be able to go back home really short. We're not sure why this even happened, but it's going to be fine. We're just going to, you know, kind of camp out here in Babylon for a couple of weeks is what they were kind of thinking. That was their mentality. Like, this is going to be short-lived. We're not going to do anything. And through Jeremiah, God is telling them, listen, this is going to be a while. Build houses, plant, plant your gardens, Find your spouse. Make babies. You're going to be here a while. Like, go about life as it should be, even though you are in exile here in Babylon. The bottom line to them, and our main takeaway for today is this. Grow where you are planted. Grow where you are planted. God, in his great love for his people, gave them a direction and a plan. And he said, grow where you're planted. You need to take the time where you are at and do what you need to and what you can to thrive and flourish. Now let's consider the life of Joseph. Because I think Joseph gives us a really good example of he's had to grow and thrive where he was planted on several occasions. 
Now, we know from his story that he was the 11th of 12 sons. Okay, so he was kind of down there in the pecking order. And if you really look at it, he's the 12th child out of 13. His sister was a little older, and we know of one that was at least named. There might have been others, but only one got to be named. Who knows? Um, But what we see is that when he was 17, his job was just to pasture or shepherd the flocks. The family had lots of sheep and animals, and he and his brothers, their business was to go around and just shepherd them to get them their food. He didn't have to do um, much more than that. And at this time, he was the youngest of the shepherding brothers. His youngest brother, Benjamin, was a little too little. So Joseph was the youngest of the brothers that were being sent out to shepherd. And a lot of times, because he was the youngest, he was the gopher, right? He was the low man on the totem pole. He was the one that said, you know what? We need to go back because we forgot our lunch. Joseph, you get to go do that. Man, it's like five miles back. Well, you can go do it. It's fine. So he would go back and do that, and Jacob, his father, would send him out. And on many occasions, he would do this. And in Genesis 37, we can read that he willingly went out when his dad, Jacob, sent him to do that, to check on the brothers. Unfortunately, on one occasion, his, his brothers decide, you know what? It's time to get rid of Joseph. He is annoying as all get out. So they sell him to some Ishmaelites who are on their way to Egypt. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt and they sell him to a man named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. So now Joseph finds himself as a slave in the house of Potiphar. He's away from his family and his only life he's ever known. He's likely bewildered in dealing with this traumatic turn of events. Like, what just happened? Like, I know my brothers and I didn't always get along, but really this? Yet in Genesis 39, we can read that he became a successful man in Potiphar's house. Potiphar observed that Joseph succeeded in all that he did, and so slowly but surely, Potiphar made him in charge of more and more things, until finally, Joseph was the overseer of all of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. The bottom line here was that Joseph gave his best effort, and the Lord blessed him. And as a result, Potiphar's house was blessed as well. However, as we know the story goes, as Joseph rose to prominence in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife also took notice. And she tried to seduce him, but he refused her advances. And because he rejected her advances continually, she found that she could just, let's, if you're going to reject me, then guess what? You're going to find your way out the door. She made up a lie about Joseph and how he tried to make advances against her. And when she told Potiphar, Potiphar was a little upset and threw him into prison. Probably what anyone of us would do if we found out something like that. We would throw them into prison, get rid of them, whatever it takes. So Joseph now finds himself in prison. Now, I'm not exactly sure what work Joseph had to do while he was in prison, but we do learn that whatever he did, he did it well. And because of this, the keeper of the prison took notice of him. The keeper of the prison began to put things under his charge, 
And as he was in prison, Joseph was doing things more and more until finally he was over all things in the prison, at least under that that prison keeper. And ultimately, Joseph did whatever needed to be done. Scripture tells us that the keeper just let him do whatever needed to be done. And the keeper didn't worry about it one bit because he knew that Joseph could handle whatever he was tasked with doing. Now, after some time, two of Pharaoh's servants come along, the cupbearer and the baker. They land in prison in Joseph's quadrant, we'll call it. He was, they come under him, and they're there for a little while, and one morning they wake up, and, and Joseph notices that they're looking a little bit troubled. Like, they're bothered by something, and you know, he asks, hey, what's going on? And they tell him that they had some disturbing dreams, and, and they're wondering what's going to happen. And lo and behold, Joseph, by the grace of God, is able to interpret those dreams for them. And those interpretations come to pass after just a few days. And the cupbearer is restored to his position. And as he leaves, Joseph asks him to remember him when he gets out. Because Joseph, you know, he doesn't really want to stay in prison for the rest of his life. And that's what it's looking like it's going to be. But he asks the cupbearer. The cupbearer goes. He gets back into Pharaoh's graces. And he forgets about Joseph. So Joseph remains in prison. Another two years goes by. Lo and behold, Pharaoh has some crazy dreams. He dreams about skinny cows that eat up some fat cows. And he dreams about these like wilty pieces of grain that are eating these really nice, plump pieces of grain. I don't know what you call them. They're pieces of grain. He's troubled by these dreams and he wants their interpretation. And lo and behold, the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph had interpreted dreams for him. And he goes to Pharaoh and he's like, Pharaoh, I know a guy. I know a guy who can interpret your dreams. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph and he's, Joseph is brought before him. And Joseph tells him that God has shown Pharaoh what is about to happen. That there are going to be seven years of great abundance in the land of Egypt but they will be followed by seven years of severe famine that will wipe out all of the abundance that happens. Along with the interpretation, Joseph goes on and recommends that Pharaoh appoint a wise official who can oversee the gathering and storing up of grain during the years of abundance so that there will be reserves for the years of famine. Pharaoh hears Joseph's proposal and says, I agree. You the man. You're the guy. I can tell by your discernment and that you have the wisdom of God, so you're the guy who needs to spearhead all of this. So think about this. In a matter of hours, Joseph goes from being this filthy prisoner, he was probably in all kinds of tattered clothes, smelling like stank, and he comes before Pharaoh, and a couple hours later, he is now second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. And he goes on to store up all the grain in in great abundance throughout all the cities in the land of Egypt. And he administered the entire system to set Egypt up to be as prepared as possible for the seven years of extreme famine that were going to come. And during this time, Pharaoh gives him a wife, and he's able to uh, produce two boys. 
And when the family, famine finally hit, not the family finally hit, the famine finally hit, he administered the distribution of grain to the people of Egypt and ultimately to the surrounding nations. For we know that a little while into the famine, his brothers come to Egypt to buy food. And in all of Joseph's story, which we've really just kind of summarized in about 10 minutes, we can see that Joseph grew where he was planted. And I hope that it's relatively clear to say that he was not always dealt a fair hand. In fact, a lot of times we could say he was given a raw deal. He was sold by his own brothers into slavery. He started to enjoy a little success, you know, once he was in Egypt and in Potiphar's house. He found some normalcy, but then all of a sudden he finds himself in prison. And he's like, what just happened? In prison, he did what he was asked and even had hoped that he could get out of prison shortly. But nothing happened for a few years. And then when, then, when he was elevated by Pharaoh to lead the famine prep administration, he did so with wisdom and diligence. I think we can say Joseph grew where he was planted. And as I look at Joseph's life story, I observe a few takeaways for us to remember, for us to consider, maybe to tuck away or maybe to like forge ahead with, that we can think about these areas for our life and that we too can work to grow where we are planted. So here's the first thing that I see. It's this. Joseph purposed in his heart to trust God and honor him in all that he did. Joseph had been raised in a God-fearing family. Obviously, from the story, we can see they were not a perfect family. I mean, his brother sold him into slavery. But it ultimately was a God-fearing family. I can only imagine that as a boy, he had heard the stories from his father, Jacob, of God's faithfulness in so many times in his life. And he would have been told of the stories of great-grandpa Abraham and grandpa Isaac, who also trusted the Lord God and saw him come through in some extraordinary ways, just as they were going through life. So the seeds of faith had been planted in Joseph's life. And he chose to trust God and honor him in all that he did. And we see one example of this in Genesis 39.9, when he rejects the advances of Potiphar's wife. It says, he, speaking of Potiphar, is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Because Potiphar left his entire house under Joseph's charge, Joseph could have done anything that he wanted, probably including sleeping with his wife, if he had so wanted. But he knew that it would be a sin against God. And because he honored God, he did not want to sin against him. His purpose, his life goal was to honor God in all things. Another example comes as he is brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. In Genesis 41, 15 and 16, we read this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
Joseph could have taken the credit and said, yeah, I interpret dreams. He could have been putting himself out there as this wise interpreter, as this person who just had all of this wisdom. But he again chose instead to honor God and trust him, to proclaim the greatness of God even before ungodly Pharaoh. Joseph was going to say, listen, there is a God in heaven who gives me the wisdom. I know you don't really serve him, but this is the truth. This is the reality. And through the interpretation of the dream, Joseph keeps saying that God has shown this to Pharaoh, that God has revealed this to you so that you can know what God is about to do. God is the champion and the hero here, not me. And I think this is a perspective for each of us to take in our lives, that we choose to trust God and make it our goal to honor him in everything we do. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 gives us this piece of wisdom to govern our lives. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Many of us have heard these verses quoted often and the next verse even goes a little bit deeper where it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. So let's trust the Lord and his wisdom over our own thoughts. If we can begin to have that perspective and honor God, just think what God can do in our lives. Let's fear him, following his principles, and turn away from evil and the sin associated with it. In the same line of thought, Paul writes these words to the Colossian church. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Make it your life goal to just do what is right according to God's will. And by doing that, you give thanks to him. You proclaim his greatness in all the things that you do. And just a few verses later, he writes this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. As an approach to life, let's do everything we do for the Lord. Let's live out life, our actions and our words, as an expression of thanks to God for his blessing in our lives. You may not feel like you have much blessing going on in the moment, But let your life express thanks for his salvation in your life, for the air that he gives you to breathe, for the hope that you have of the inheritance you will receive in him. Let's trust God and honor him in all that we do and thus grow and flourish where we're planted. Now, there's another takeaway that I see from Joseph's life that I think will help us also grow where we are planted, and it's this. What we think might be quick and temporary might actually be long-term. And this is not always one that's popular, one that we really like to think about, but sometimes our present circumstances are going to be for a a hot minute. It's not going to be just, oh, yeah, it'll it'll pass in a week. Sometimes the situations we face are long-term. Maybe they're permanent. Maybe it is a, you know, a complete and permanent tra- change in trajectory from where your life was going. 
Joseph may have been hopeful that he would have been rescued or delivered from his slavery quickly. He may have hoped at one point that he could have been out of prison quickly. But he probably did realize that wasn't likely. I'm entering a life of slavery. There's kind of no hope that that's going to change. But I'm still going to trust God. I think he was understandably shell-shocked by, seeing, by being sold by his brothers and now becoming a slave in, in Potiphar's house. But he knew that to survive, he needed to do what was expected of him. He would need to obey his masters, and he chose to trust God and honor him in all that he did. And we can see that he just set his mind to do that and just said, I don't know how long this is going to be, but I know that I need to do what is right and obedient. When he was in prison and he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, I think he had that glimmer of hope like, I just might get out of here. You know, the cupbearer, he gives them this dream interpretation that says three days later, you're going to be brought back into Pharaoh's service and you're going to be able to be restored to your position. And I can only imagine like that glimmer of hope saying, remember me when you're gone because then I can get out of this place. And he had that hope. He had that desire. But we know that it was two more years before he, the cupbearer remembered Joseph and said, oh yeah, by the way, Pharaoh, I know a guy. So he didn't just drift into a life of doing nothing except hoping that his life would change. He didn't act like Snow White who's saying, someday my prince will come. You know, he's like, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm just going to keep plodding on. I'm going to take one step ahead of the next and just keep doing what I know I need to do. I'm waiting on God. But this might be a while. And he came to that realization. And he didn't know how his life was going to turn out. And he didn't know how long he had. From Genesis 37, it looks like he was sold into slavery when he was about 17 years old. I think of that, that would be like selling my son into slavery at his age right now. He's 17. It'd be something like that. And then in Genesis 41, we find that he was 30 when he entered the the service of Pharaoh. So for 13 years, he spent those years as a slave and as a prisoner. He had no idea how that would last, but he was determined to thrive as much as he could, even though he just couldn't catch a break. Let's look at one final observation from Joseph's life that can help us grow where we're planted. And I think that everything I've said this morning is based and grounded on this one. God loves you, and he is with you. God loves you, and he is with you. We can trust God and seek to honor him because we know this to be true. It doesn't always feel like it, but we know this to be true. God loves you, and he is with you. 
Over and over in the account of Joseph, we read that the Lord was with Joseph even in his very troubling situation. After being bought by Potiphar to be a slave in his house, we read this in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Then in verse 5 it says, From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. Later, after he was thrown in prison, when he didn't think life could be any worse, we read this in Genesis 39, 21-23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I don't know how Joseph felt while he was going through some of these troubling times. But over time, he was able to see that God was with him through all of it. Again, Joseph was about 17 years old when his brothers sold him. Fast forward, we're just going to say 22-ish years later, his brothers come to buy food from him. So over double his life from when his brothers last saw him, he now sees his brothers. And he's able to say to them in the last part of Genesis 45, verse 5, For God sent me before you to preserve life. It was probably very difficult to see his brothers. And we read that he was very emotional in, in the account of Joseph. But he also realized that God had sent him before them so that he could preserve life. That he could be a vessel of bringing life to those who are around him, and he did so. And this principle applies to each and every one of us today. God loves you, and he is with you. You may hear a phrase quoted around here quite often, something that we've learned from the Good and Beautiful God class that we hold on Wednesday nights, and it's this. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. We can know that this is truth. That he delights in us, and he loves us. We were at a worship conference over the last couple of days, and uh, the speaker in, in the first session yesterday was telling a story of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Anyone ever hear of Stephen Curtis Chapman? Prolific uh, Christian music uh, singer and, and songwriter. And he told the story, um, which some of you may be familiar with as well, that in 2008, 
um, they had an incident in their family that they had three biological children and three adopted children, and their youngest, uh, Maria Sue, was playing in the yard and um, just having a grand old time. And one of their sons was driving uh, their SUV home, and uh, he was just driving along as, as he would, and he, he came in uh, to the driveway, and uh, Will Franklin was his name, uh, and he comes driving in, and Maria Sue comes running, and she is running, and uh, she kind of takes him by surprise. He doesn't even see her. He hits her with the SUV in their own driveway. She is in bad shape, uh, to say the least, at this point. Um, and the family is trying to uh, take care of what needs to be done. You know, all, you know, mom, dad, siblings are all out, and they're, they're trying to take care of it. You know, take care of their daughter who is lying in critical condition. And Will Franklin is just in shock and awe at what has happened knowing that he has just hit his sister. He didn't mean to. It was not his plan. It was, it was just an accident. But Will Franklin, in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on, he starts to run. Because he's just in shock. I just hit my sister. And his older brother, Caleb, goes running after him. And tackles him. Not because he's like, you punk. But because, listen, this is not a time for you to run away. You are still part of this family. He goes running after him. He takes him. So the family gets going. They, get, they, they, they load Maria Sue up. The ambulance is there. And as Stephen Curtis Chapman is driving away, he sees that his son, Will Franklin, is struggling. And, you know, Caleb is with him, but it's, it's a tough situation. And he sees that his son is in dire straits at this point. And he knows that Maria Sue is on the way to the hospital. But as they leave, he rolls down his window and he calls out to him and says, Will Franklin... Your father loves you. Will Franklin, your father loves you. Because in Stephen Curtis Chapman's mind at that moment, he was figuring that he was about to lose one child. And he didn't want to lose two. Today I want to proclaim to you, Jesus has died for you. God gave up one son, and he doesn't want to lose you. So he wants you to know you are loved. Mary, your father loves you. Dave, your father loves you. And if we can rest in that and know It can make everything else change. It gives us that ability to grow where we are planted because we know that our Father loves us. Romans 5.8 says that, 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And a lot of times we can just make that an overarching thing and we're like, yeah, that's the collective us. But take your finger and just point it at yourself for a minute and say, God came and died for me. Do that. Raise your finger right now, point it at yourself and say, God died for me. That's just not a platitude. It's not just some trite statement. God has died for each one of us. He loves you. We were and we are so valuable to him that Jesus, his son, took the penalty for our sin on himself. We also know this truth from Hebrews chapter 13, where God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you are facing, God is there with you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He has not just left you to just squander and and deal with it. God loves you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And it is so good to remind us, to remind ourselves of these things, that God loves you and he is with you always. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back to the platform and get ready. And while there are many other promises and truths in scriptures to offer hope to each of us as we work to grow where we are planted, I want to offer just one more. And it's from James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God loves us, and he is with us always, and he has promised us eternity with him. As we continue to walk with him and follow his ways, as we purpose in our hearts to trust him, and to grow where we are planted, we have a wonderful inheritance to look forward to. So let's make the commitment to continue walking with him at all times and in all of our ways to grow where we're planted. We've observed how Joseph grew where he was planted. We saw how he purposed in his heart to trust God and honor him in all he did, even though he thought or hoped his situation would just be temporary. He didn't know how long it would last. And we saw that in Joseph's life and in our lives today, that God loves you and he is with you. So this morning, let's pray and consider how we can apply these things to our lives, these thoughts that we can take with us and hopefully then grow where we are planted. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We come to you as your children. And we, this morning, just want to rest in the love 
and the grace that you have for each one of us. We thank you for the story of Joseph's life, which can show us that no matter what, we can grow where we are planted. That we can thrive in any situation because of you. Help us to choose purposefully to love you, to honor you, to trust you in all that we do. Lord, we also ask that you would continually remind us of your great love for us. Help us to remember that you will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what we face, we can know as we are reminded by the Holy Spirit that you are with us, that you are for us, that you love us immensely. So Lord, we just ask that you would help us to recall those wonderful truths for our lives. And as we live this out, may you, Lord, be glorified through us, your followers. And this morning as we get prepared to close out the service, I want to offer an opportunity. If today you're saying that I've never really grasped a hold of the love of God for my own life, that maybe I've never realized how true that is, and that you say, I feel that he's calling me today to walk in this way, to, to trust him and honor him in all that I do, to, to be patient in the waiting and to rest in that knowledge of his love, his abundant, immeasurable love for me. And today you say, I want and I want to choose to follow him. I want to give you an opportunity to just make that commitment to the Lord today. So I'm going to just kind of pan through the, the congregation. I'm going to start on my left, your right. And if that's you today and you want to just say, I want to follow him from this point forward, I just encourage you to slip up your hand and help me to see that this is a choice that you are making for today. Sweeping to the middle sections. Thank you. to my right, your left. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for those who have raised their hands and who have said, I want to follow you. I want to rest in this love that you have for me. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. Lord, wipe away the things that have been in their past. Lord, we confess to you today those things and we ask that you would change our hearts. Change our hearts to follow you and to grow where we are planted from this day forward.